0: Experts warn that the country could be on the brink of a child care cliff in about a month. Childcare advocates are worried about federal funding that's set to expire on September thirtieth for daycare centers across the country, and that would result in the loss of up to three million daycare spots. Americans with children can't go
1: to
2: work if there's no one to watch their kids. But it's an industry that's been on the brink. Let's get started. I'm Jason resign I'm an opinions columnist here at the Washington Post. Um,
1: my name is Alyssa Rosenberg, and I write about families and kids.
0: Uh, I'm Mark Teeson, and I write about uh, uh, national security, uh, domestic politics, con- the conservative movement, conservative politics, and what's happening inside the Republican Party. And now, childcare.
1: <laughs> I know this is all my evil plan to try like exactly. seduce Mark over to the family policy beat.
0: Come to the dark side.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: What I was hoping we could talk a bit about today is the rising costs of child care. It's something that I know really well from an experience side, but not a policy one. And at the end of the month, this pandemic era funding towards child care is going to expire. You guys did a big project on this, coming up with mm-hmm. recommendations about what we might do to solve the crisis that we're all about to face. And I'd love it if you guys could just talk about that.
1: Sure. I mean, so just to back up for a second, the project rose out of a conversation that Mark and I had about a year ago um, after the Dobbs decision came down. I'd written a column just saying like, hey, from a pragmatic matter, are there are going to be women who have kids now that they would not have had if abortion care were legal and available in their states. You know, what are we going to do for them? Just practically, you know, what what can we do to make family life easier? And, you know, we were, you know, at drinks and, we just started talking and said, like, let's keep talking about this. Where can we find some common ground? And so we spent a year just reading through all of these bills that lawmakers had introduced in Congress, looking at stuff that think tanks had done, and then just saying, what can we agree on? And there was a lot of stuff we couldn't agree on. Yeah,
0: there was, <laughs> including uh, Pandemic Cliff. Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah. Talk about what the child care cliff is.
1: Sure. So um, as with many other industries, uh, Congress allocated about $24 billion in funding to stabilize the child care industry, which mm-hmm. was hit really hard by the pandemic. Um, parents, especially those with young kids, often just pulled them out of care entirely and kept them home. Um, child care is a very small margin industry. Um, there are high st- ratio requirements for staff to students. Um, and so in order to make sure that providers didn't shut down and get out of business entirely and to be clear a lot of them did um, the you know Congress allocated this money um, on average centers got I think about a hundred hundred and ten thousand dollars most of which they used to pay staff um, home daycares tended to get closer to twenty thousand dollars a lot of them were using that to just pay mortgages pay rent uh, pay utility bills and um, that money's about to go away and The Century Foundation has estimated that as many as 3 million kids could lose care as places gradually shut down. In a way, the pandemic relief funding sort of ended up filling a gap that had existed before the pandemic, right? The the emergency made things really dire for these providers, but there has always been this gap between what parents can afford to pay and what providers can afford to make. In order to stay in the business, um, so we had this, you know, <laughs> brief pandemic reprieve where the government was like, "Okay, we'll fill that hole with money," but that hole still exists because the
0: government was forcing everyone to close down. You know, well, because you couldn't. The reason that funding came in was because the but, federal government came in and said to every business, "You have to shut your doors. You can't. You have to. Uh, you know, you're being forced not because of any structural issues, but because." But you Mark, ha-
1: families were also making individual decisions to pull yes. their kids out of care, yeah, exactly. especially you know, even when places were legally allowed to operate, and there were a lot of places where facilities were allowed to continue operating. Um, but Jason, your son's almost three, right?
2: Yeah, he's about three. And from my perspective, just as one dad, we kept him at home until he was almost two, and he had very little other socialization. There's a limit to what you can teach your kids in your own house. So getting him into a situation where he was with other kids, interacting, learning from other adults besides us, all of that was really critical. And I think for me, the just the, the trajectory of his growth over the last year or so has made that investment in, in childcare worth it. And of course, it also allows my wife and me to work. <laughs> but I have a question for you, Mark, because your kids are a bit older than than ours. Uh,
0: my kids are uh, about 17, 17, 20, and 21. Okay.
2: Is this a perennial problem? I mean, the costs of, of childcare? Or is it getting significantly worse now uh, than when you were first having kids?
0: It is worse. I mean, the, the inflation for uh, for childcare is significantly higher. Uh, than overall inflation, which is already high, um, so it's been it's been a problem for a long time, but it's definitely been exacerbated by the by the pandemic. But it's sort we're sort of in a catch twenty two because you know Ronald Reagan famously said there's nothing so near eternal life as a temporary government program, <laughs> um, and uh, you know the, those who are trying to extend this are proving him right, uh, and it's kind of a catch twenty two because the pandemic, as, as Alyssa said, did uh, create all sorts of difficulties for these childcare uh, uh, businesses. Many of them closed. Many of them are struggling. Um, um, and because of the inflation, because there's a huge worker shortage yeah. uh, for for uh, for care, but for throughout the economy. But at the same time, the pandemic spending is in many ways what unleashed the inflation and unleashed the labor shortage. So we are now in, we have over the last couple of years had the worst labor shortage in the history of our country. Uh, so part one of, you know, going back to the solutions we agree on, because yeah. I don't <laughs> think we agree on the fiscal, I, I don't yeah. want to, I think we should, We got to pull the Band-Aid off. You can't, we can't, this, this was a pandemic, all the pandemic spending needs to stop um, because this pandemic spending has done more damage to the economy than it's done good. Uh, we'll disagree about that. <laughs> but we but what we should do, there's a lot of things we came up with in our in our yep. essay that we agree on that things we could do. Well, one of the things is uh, if if, uh, if we need more child care workers, expand H2B visas, um, expand the number of au pairs uh, that are allowed to come into the country. Uh, you, full you, we, disclosure,
1: my father-in-law is in the au pair business. <laughs> so, you know, but-,
2: but Wait, does this does this differ from your overall views of immigration? Oh, I'm I'm hugely
0: in favor of legal immigration. I am I'm just in I'm just against illegal immigration.
2: Well,
1: and I mean I think part of the reason that we focused on this visa category, we even floated creating a special visa category for childcare workers is that there's this, you know, H2B's are this sort of catch-all visa category for non-agricultural workers. Um and they're gone immediately, you know, on the, they open up in January and they're just gone. And you know, asking, um, you know, like smaller daycares, you know, to compete for those slots is really hard. You know, if we had more ways for people to get in. Look, I mean, my daughter and my son have been cared for by amazing women who have immigrated from various Latin American countries and have become citizens and are, you know, amazing, productive contributors to American society. I would love to see... Just greater enthusiasm for getting these kinds of amazing educators into our early childhood system,
2: how many people are we talking about?
1: Oh, boy, you know, I don't think we ran an exact calculation sort of what
2: tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands
1: I mean, look we're. I think the estimates from the Century Foundation are something like seventy thousand daycares shutting down um and so you know, we, we need the economic system where we can pay them. But, you know, we are about to see a potential collapse in women's workforce participation because there are not going to be ways for them to get care.
0: But again, catch-22. It's the spending that is driving the inflation, it's driving the the worker shortages, which then put, put – But again, the gap
1: has always been there, though. It's – I mean, it okay. has always been a problem. I mean, sure. look, we shifted to an economy that – In many ways, a lot of these changes, I think we can agree, are good, right? I mean, there are more people are going to college. Um, You know, you have more women in the workforce who I think, you know, maybe that wouldn't necessarily always be their first choice. But there are women who want to be there, like me, who get a lot out of working. And so, you know, we had an enormous shift in our economy in terms of, you know, demand and desire for both parents and two-parent households to be in the workforce, and we also have rise in single parenthood, but that's a whole other conversation. But we did not have, you know, sort of a shift in either those workers' wages or in, you know, early childhood education programming like, you know, free pre-K like we have here in the district that made it possible for that workforce to go off to work. And we can, you know... I think there's a whole conversation to be had about whether we would prefer an economy where it was easier for one parent to stay home without that becoming radically destabilizing. Um, you know, Elliot Haspel, who, like me, is progressive, has written a lot about child care, would love to see a sort of fifteen thousand dollars per kid child allowance that would that could function as a salary for stay at home parents. Mm. I know I'm not going to get you're you not. on
2: board with no, that one. Those sound like Reagan type family values for the 21st century to me.
0: Yep. <laughs> so the Biden administration in its first three years has passed roughly five trillion dollars in new spending over 10 years. Um, there is no appetite for more spending. So. There, we could sit here all day and talk about, you know, what we think is the ideal, as, co- as post-columnists, what our ideal Fantasy world land. is. Um, and it has no bearing on reality, yeah. right? What, what what we tried to do is bear down on what are things that have bipartisan support on Capitol Hill that are abortion-neutral and fiscally
2: realistic, right? There was a tax-related thing that I wanted to bring up with you that I thought was pretty innovative, lifting the sales tax on baby-related goods. Yes. yes. Talk about that a little bit. Is that a realistic fix? that you think that both parties could get behind?
1: Yeah, I mean there are bills by folks in both parties. Um, Governor Ron DeSantis, who I disagree with on just about everything else, um, actually has done a lot of this in Florida. Um,
0: For the record, Alyssa has endorsed a Ron DeSantis' proposal. This is good. I also,
1: <laughs> I also. I'm um, expecting
0: her endorsement anytime soon in the I Republican primary. I also support
1: the proposal. He signed, authored by a Democrat, which proves even Ron DeSantis is capable of occasionally being bipartisan to extend the school day in Florida um, and in part of a pilot project. So, but
0: that's actually, a re- and that's something. Yeah. That we should that's another solu- uh, important solution to the child care issue, which is that the school day is just so too short. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you know I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting a listen in trouble with the teachers' unions because that they, they will violently oppose this. But just put aside child care for a second. One of the things we agree on is that we should extend the school day uh, and have it an actual learning, not, not teachers being forced to be child care people, but actually extend learning and also year-round school.
2: You guys have incredible ideas that I think over the long term, if implemented, could make real change. But we're facing this cliff in just a matter of days. What can be done right now to address this looming crisis?
1: I think this is really terrible to say, but nothing. I I I don't think Congress is going to fill in that gap. And I think, you know, advocates are maybe hoping that you know, if an emergency does actually result, if three million kids do lose care, that that will be a major impetus for action. Um, but I think, you know, to me, a sustainable long term solution would be one that brings business in much more aggressively because they're sort of the third stakeholder here, right? I mean, parents need their kids to have a safe place to go and they need to be able to go to work. Government has a sort of inherent interest in the welfare of children. It comes into that most actively when public schooling starts. But businesses need workers to work and they've sort of offloaded this responsibility and decided to pay for it in the ways that are most disruptive to their operations.
2: Mark, do you see this as government's problem or industry's problem? Well, I think it's...
0: uh, So first of all, I think that... Alyssa made the point from her perspective that this was a problem before yeah. and that the pandemic spending then came in and addressed it in the concept of, uh, as a result of the pandemics. And now the pandemic, it,
1: it was sort of a backdoor yeah. way. And so it's a back,
0: well, this is the point. Yeah. Like, I, I don't believe in, like, backdoor, backdoor, you know, creating a national subsidy program through the backdoor because of the pandemic. So the pandemic spending has to end.
1: Yeah. And, it, it's, it, and it's, it's going to end. Right? It's going
0: to end. It has to end uh, because it's just d- distorting our economy. We need to pull the Band-Aid off and then have solutions that are bipartisan that are make it easier for parents to for childcare businesses to stay in business to find workers and to for parents to be able to pay for it and businesses to contribute to it and that's what a lot of our solutions in our essay that we talked about
1: but i also think you know and we didn't get quite as far down this you know there are a couple of routes that businesses could go to step up and pay their share in a sort of a more systematic way that is frankly better for them right i mean you have businesses like Patagonia, which have been operating really successful on-site daycare and aftercare programs for a long time. Um, you you know, the Boston Consulting Group is actually doing a big project right now where they're looking at, um, you know, client companies' child care needs and trying to figure out what solutions make most sense from a business perspective. You know, you could eventually see something where... Child care is an employer provided benefit, like um, whether in the form of on-site child care or you know sort of subsidize the way that employers uh, subsidize health insurance. I mean, and again, you know, I know that you know you can ask questions about what government should be doing, but I will say a huge champion of the house um, on-site daycare is Kevin McCarthy, who even helped design the playground and the play area. At the yeah. House of Representatives staff In, day, incentives,
0: not mandates, and not taxpayer subsidies, are the are the way to do that. And I think, ironically, the the worker shortage that the all the the pandemic spending has unleashed uh, is it creates an incentive, a perverse incentive, but an incentive because businesses uh, wages are rising they're just not rising faster than inflation overall you know over the over the period of the last few years just since the pandemic but businesses need to find workers and so what what do workers need so they they, they need more money but they also probably need child care they need other things like that so there's an incentive for businesses if they want to re, you know retain workers or find workers to provide those things um so that that that's happening sort of through the the invisible
2: hand it sounds like we're gonna have to learn the hard way yeah There's going to be some rough months and maybe even years ahead of us on this front.
1: Yeah, I think there's no question about that. And, you know, look, we should want these to be excellent jobs. We should, you know, if parents are going to work, if parents have to work, then they should be able to do so in confidence that their child is safe, is loved, is enriched. And, you know, this should be something that business and families and government can work together because we owe it not just to parents, not just to the economy, but to children.
2: Mark, Alyssa, thank you guys so much. I learned a lot. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.
1: Well, yeah, having fixed family policy, you want to fix social security next? Let's do it.
0: We're on. I'm I'm ready for the next essay.